Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. Well, today we're going to actually continue in a message series that we kind of began last week, but I really think with all my heart, I think that what we're going to be sharing today is really going to connect, it's really going to resonate, um, guys, with, with, with where you are, not just with where you are in your life, but also where you are as teens, uh, where you are in your families, where you are at work, uh, where you are at school, wherever you may find yourself today. We're really excited about what God's going to share with us this morning. Well, today we're going to look in the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to begin in verse 13, and I'm going to give you right off the bat, I'm going to give you an example of something that can change your life, something that can actually change your life when you em embrace the principle that is being shared here. This is something that's going to potentially really change your life. This is, takes place in a scene uh, that Jesus has with his disciples. And in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, the scripture says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say, John the Baptist. All right, so let's slow down for just a second. So Jesus is with his disciples. He's like, guys, I've been walking with you for a while now. And I'm just kind of curious. What are you hearing from others about me? What are other people saying about me? And so then they chime in and they say, okay, well, some people say that you're like John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah. But still others, maybe Jeremiah or one of the prophets and then Jesus turns this thing completely on its head and he says okay well let's forget about what everybody else says about Jesus what really matters is this who do you say that I am Simon Peter the one who seems to be the guy that's always out of the boat first you know he's probably got a his mouth is like the fits that fits his shoe you know what I'm saying Peter's kind of that guy that he's just out there. He's just out there. So he just steps up and Simon Peter answered and said, you are, gosh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus, hearing these words of Simon Peter, I mean, this is like high five. I mean, this is like chest bump. This is like, dude, you nailed it. Blessed, blessed are you. And then watch the text here. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then he says, I also say to you that you are Peter, no longer Simon, but you're Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Uh, Father, thank you for your goodness and grace to us today, God. 
Thank you for this incredible opportunity to speak grace and truth and love into people's hearts and lives. Father, we trust your spirit today. We trust your power. We wouldn't even want to begin to try to do this uh, without you, God. And Father, we trust that your spirit would, would speak and have something special for each heart and for each life because, God, only you can do that. So we trust you with this time, and we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So let me ask you a really, really important question. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Uh, man, we could break this down into like everyday normal stuff in your life. Why do you, why do you hang out with the friends that you hang out with? Why do you participate in the activities and stuff that you do? For those of us who are older and advanced in life, why did you choose the major that you chose in your life? Why did you do that? Why did you ask the girl out? Why did you say, hey, we should go to such and such restaurant? Why did you do that? Why did you decide to get married? Why did you decide to have kids? Why did you, say to, why, why did you do that? A lot of us would say, well, you know what? Life is kind of about doing the things that make us what? Doing the things that make us happy. Maybe your parents have even said to you, hey, listen, here's what you need to do in your life. You need to find the things that make you fill in the blank, and then you need to go do those things. We do so many things in our lives because we think those are the things that are going to do what? And this is time for audience participation. I'm not going to stand here and speak and you just look at me, okay? Why do we do what we do? Go find what makes you happy and go do it. So many people, they begin a pursuit of life and they're trying to find happiness. read an article about a guy not too long ago. That's what he tried to do with his life. He tried to find happiness. I mean, he did this, he did that. He said, all throughout my life, I was trying to find happiness. But here's what I realized. I realized that the more I tried to find happiness, the more unhappy I became. He was pursuing happiness like it was a, a, a goal to achieve or a destination to arrive at. He said, in fact, the harder I tried to be happy, the more I became unhappy. It's just like my life became miserable. So why do you do what you do? Well, this would say, it's because we want to be happy. But you know, when it comes to being happy, and by the way, this is, this is rooted in the fabric of who we are as a people. Number one, I want you to know, I want you to know, I believe with all my heart that God truly does want you to be happy. Did you know that there are like over 2,700 references in scripture to us being happy, joyous, like exulting, uh, uh, being excited, celebration, feasting. All throughout Scripture, you find these passages that speak of God's people finding joy, finding happiness, uh, exulting, rejoicing, celebrating, feasting. All of these things that would put a smile on our face. I, can, I really believe I can say today, God wants you to be happy with your life. We learned last week in this message series that if you pursue God, and you seek a life that's pleasing to him based on the book of Ecclesiastes, then here's what's going to happen. If you pursue God and you seek a life that pleases him, then you don't have to worry about finding happiness. Happiness will find you. Happiness will find you. He gives to those who pursue him wisdom, understanding, and what? What's the key word today? It is happiness. 
God really does want you to be happy. Now, here's the challenge. The challenge is that what some of us think is going to make us happy might not really make us happy. And by the way, did I tell you, did I tell you, did I tell you, did I tell you that people are not happy today? Did I tell you that? Did I tell you that recent studies have shown that in the United States of America, the happiness index, based on the Harris Poll and study, revealed that only about 35% of people in our country feel like they're happy. So here's what that means. Here's what that means. It means that two out of every three people that you meet, two out of every three people that you meet, have this like cloud of darkness or this gray over their lives. Did I also tell you that in our country today, clinical depression is 10 times higher than what they estimated it was to be 100 years ago? Did I also tell you, did I also tell you that suicidal ideologies, suicidal thoughts among teenagers are higher today than they've ever been. I had a teacher tell me two weeks ago that she was seeking counseling for a student who was thinking about suicide. The student is in the second grade. All-time highs. Guys, I'm going I'm to give you today. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you 13. No, I'm not going to give you 13 reasons. I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you one. And his name is Jesus. And when we pursue his plan for happiness, we won't have to worry about finding it. I'll give you one reason. His name is Jesus, and he's got a tremendous plan for your life. I was at the funeral service of a middle schooler two weeks ago. Sat in the back row over in Graves County, and there was a row of middle school kids next to me. Every one of them was bawling their eyes out. My heart was absolutely breaking for these kids. I'm sitting here thinking, what can I do? What can I do? None of these kids know me. I mean, they're Graves County. I'm Marshall County. And we got Graves County people here. Shout out to my Graves County people. So I'm sitting back there. Got to be careful with this stuff these days. So anyway, these kids are just crying. And there's like these three girls next to me. And I'm like, what can I do? And God just said, go get a box of Kleenex. So I went, got a box of Kleenex, handed it to them. And I'm just sitting there. I'm just praying for them. I'm just praying for them. Just praying for them. And then I was like, okay, what can I do? So I pulled out my phone, and I went to my notes, and I texted the girl next to me, and I said, if you don't mind, please tell me your name. I would just like to pray for you. So she did. She gave me her name. And then she gave me the name of the kid next to her. And I just said, I'm praying for you. And then I thought, okay, Lord, when these kids leave, what's one thing, one thing I might could say to them that might give them hope? What's one, one reason? And I whispered into her ear, and I said, God has amazing things for your life. You go find them. The last thing I wanted her to think or feel was that the fate of the student we were there for was a fate she needed for herself. God gives us the key to being happy, pursuing him. But I'm going to give you another one today. And it is basically wrapped up in a statement or a phrase that we call one another, one another. One another, one another. Did you know that there are over 50 one another statements in the New Testament? Scripture tells us, encourage one another. Scripture tells us to bear with one another. Regard one another as more important. Greet one another. Pray for. Do y'all see a pattern?
following here, by the way? This is pretty easy, right? Pray for who? Pray for one another. Serve one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Care for one another. Forgive one another and love one another. Over 50 times in the New Testament, the Scripture says, do what you do for one another. And when we practice one another to one another, we'll call it one anothering. Studies have actually shown that when people are charitable, when they're hospitable, when they are kind, listen to this, even when they think about doing something for somebody else, when they think about one another, one another, or one anothering, that the positive chemicals are released in their brains, like the, uh, the endorphins and, and all those chemicals that make you put a bit, big smile on your face, it gives you a sense of euphoria, that you're happy and joyous, that one of the keys to actually being happy is that when you do what you do for what somebody else gets out of it, it's like a boomerang effect. You know what boomerangs do, right? You ever thrown a boomerang? Have you ever tried? How many of you are going, I don't even know what a boomerang is. Go to Australia, you'll find tons of them, okay? It's like a boomerang. Finding happiness is like throwing a boomerang. When you throw it the proper way, here's what it does. It comes back to you. When you throw it the proper way, the boomerang goes out, and then it comes back to you. Let me give you another challenge as to why seeking happiness is a very hard thing and a difficult thing. Because it's like a moving target. It's like a moving target. I was talking to a group of, of elementary students this week, and I asked them, I said, okay, guys, I said, how many of you like corn dogs? These are elementary kids, all right? I mean, like half the hands in that building shot up. Yeah, we love corn dogs. I said, okay, how many of you guys like donuts? And they're like, yeah, we love donuts. I said, here's the deal. What if I told you that you're going to have donuts and corn dogs for breakfast, lunch, and supper, supper every day this week? And they're like, yes. You know, like, I want my corn dog and I want it now. I mean, you should have seen their faces, right? I said, well, here's the deal. I said, I, yeah, we could do that for you for the next couple of weeks. But I promise you, probably in the middle of next week, you're going to be going, ugh. I don't think I want a corn dog anymore. It doesn't make you too happy. It's like hitting a moving target. Here's one for you, too. Sorry to be gross, but this happened to me last month. So for a while there, every night before I'd go to bed, I would eat like a bowl of peanut butter and drink a glass of milk. Man, I was like, got to have me some protein, some vitamin D. I'd be hungry at night. So I'm loading up on the peanut butter, get a glass of milk, did that. I'm telling you, like every night for a month. And then I got the sick stomach. And I'm telling you, after you throw up peanut butter and a glass of milk, you ain't wanting that stuff anymore. I'm like, ugh, I don't want to see it anymore. Don't send it to me. I'm done with it. Being, trying to find happiness is like hitting a moving target. What you think, what you think will make you happy today may not make you happy tomorrow. You think, man, there's some things coming up this week. And boy, boy, if we could do this or we could do that, I'd be really happy. Some things coming up next week. You say, wow, man, if we did this, we did that. We, man, we could be really happy. This is why we work hard. This is why we do what we do. Hey, listen, beyond that, for some of you upperclassmen, man, graduating, man, going to prom, graduating, man, going on through life, wow, 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 declaring a major, going to school, man, this will make me happy. This will make me happy. 
the things that you think will make you happy today, 10 years from now, you're going to be pursuing completely different things. But what if I told you this? What if I told you? What if, what if I told you that what will really make you happy 20 years from now is what will make you happy truly today? And it is within these one another statements. When you embrace, when you laid hold of one another, one another, we are going to one another, we are going to put one another first, we are going to come together, we're going to come together as a team, we're going to come together as a family, we're going to come together as a church, we're going to come together, we are going to do this for one another. And it's going to be like a boomerang. It'll go out and it'll come back to you. Studies have shown, listen to this, that in families, families that are positive, families that embrace encouragement, we're going to move to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, families that have a positive to negative ratio of 5 to 1 are happy families. Hey, what in the world does that mean? When you have five acts or words of encouragement for every one negative, it leads to a happy family. Studies have also shown, listen to this, that with teams, with teams, high-performing teams experience a positive to negative ratio of six to one, which means for every one negative comment, criticism, Harsh word, where there are six positive, it leads to a high-performing team. Low-performing teams had a ratio of flip-flop it, one to three. There were one positive comment for every three negative comments. Look with me in First Thessalonians chapter five, verse eleven. Let's see if this is one of the one and others that God encourages us to do. Paul wrote to a group of believers who are going through some difficult times. And he said, here's what I want you to do. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are also doing. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just also as you are doing to encourage. Here, the word, for those of you who care, the word here is parakleso. Parakleso. So what in the world does that mean? It's a compound word, which means this. It is the verb form of the noun that we get the Holy Spirit from. Scripture calls the Holy Spirit the paraclete. Parakaleo or paraclete. To para means to come alongside. Watch this. To para means to come alongside. To kaleo means to call out. It means to come alongside and to call out. To essentially encourage somebody is to come alongside them and it is to call them out in a positive and affirming way. Let me give you an example of this. Years ago, I was in the sixth grade. Never forget this in my life. Never forget this in my life. In the sixth grade. We're getting ready to do team selection, squad selection at recess. Hit the recess playground. One of the kids said, hey, let's play, let's play kickball. We're like, yes, let's play kickball today. Then they said, okay, Alan, you be a team captain, and so-and-so, you be a team captain, and we're standing over there, and we're getting ready to call out the teams. Y'all been there? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? 
So you're sitting over there, and you're like, okay, am I going to get called? You know, sixth grade, right? Am I going to get called? Am I not going to get called? You know, I mean, this could bruise your psyche, right, as a kid, right? And so, like, so I'm sitting over there, and I'm like, okay, I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, I'm highly, listen, I am highly competitive. You don't have to amen that. Highly competitive. But I'm looking around, and there's this kid that I have known since kindergarten. Rode the bus with him every day. This dude, he is super smart, super intelligent. I mean, he's probably running NASA today. I won't tell you his name because you'll try to find him on Facebook, okay? But anyway, I saw him over there, and, and like nobody, nobody ever picks him. And for some reason, something came over me that day, and I was like, okay, I'm going to pick him. So I picked him. I mean, you know, like everybody else, when you get picked, I mean, you like got the swag going on. You're like, yeah, they picked me. Yeah, you look cool. I mean, Lauren is like, oh, I said his name, sorry. Gosh. He's like, what? Yeah, bro, I'm picking you. He came over to my team. First one I picked. Everybody else picks everybody out. out. So here's what's happening. Boomerang. Listen to me. Boomerang effect. I'm in my heart. I'm cheering for Lauren, because I'm highly competitive. I am cheering for Lauren. Lauren comes up, and he kicks the kickball. Man, it sails. I mean, it's like everybody's sitting there going, golly, I didn't know he could do that. Runs and runs and runs and runs and runs. Lauren hits a home run, first home run he ever hit in his life. And we're going, yes, 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 and we're so excited. The week I graduated high school, he found me. As seniors, he said, Alan, you may not remember this, but way back then in the sixth grade, when you picked me for kickball that day, it made an impact on me, and I've never thought of you the same way as I did when we were in grade school. He's like, I have so much appreciated you doing that for to parakaleo means to come alongside and it means to encourage. I don't have to tell you. I don't have to tell you that people are not happy. And they need somebody who will come alongside and parakaleo them in their life to build up. And let me say this as well. No, I'm not going to say that. The other word in this text is to build up. It is the word oikodomos. It's a compound word that literally means, watch this, house builder. When you build someone up, you are like building a house. It is the same word that is used in the opening text when Jesus told Peter, he said, Upon this rock, I will oikodomos my church. I will build up my church. I will, I will house build. Now watch this. When you come alongside and you encourage, you, watch this, you, listen, watch this, you, you're helping to build the house you live in. So as a team, as a family, as a church, as an organization, when you oikodomos as a builder, you are building up 
the house that you live in. Here's the other side of it. When you don't build up, you tear down. And when you tear down and you criticize and you become negative and you complain, you are destroying the house you live in. That's what it means to build up. It's like seeing a crack. It's like seeing a crack in a wall. You got two, you got two approaches, guys. Listen to me. Seeing a crack in the wall, you can say, oh my gosh, we've got a crack. Everybody's talking about this crack. This is bad. This is negative. And then here's what you can do. By going negative and critical, you start making the crack worse. And you're turning in the house that you live in. Or you can go, wow, here's a challenge. Here's a problem. Instead of me contributing to the problem, I'm going to be a part of the solution. So I'm going to start building up. I'm going to be positive. I'm going to see the good in this thing because I am living in this house too. There's two kinds of people in this world. There are people who will naturally tear down And there are people that when it is a challenge or it's difficult, they will rise to the challenge. They'll meet it head on and they'll make things better. Paul said, encourage one another, build up one another. So why don't we? Why don't we do this more often? Why don't we? Before we get to that, some of you are starting to process some things. So I've got a I've got a role here. I've got a role here. And and, and maybe some of the things that I think are going to make me happy happy happy. Maybe they're not God's plans for me. Maybe I just need to surrender to what he wants for my life. Maybe my role here is to be the person who encourages and builds up others. And when you see that happening and somebody's starting to step up in a leadership role, here's what the rest of you do. You come alongside them and you hold their arms up just like Moses needed his arms lifted up when he led the Israelites in victory in their battle. Moses would hold his arms up. As long as he held his arms up, they'd win. He'd put his arms down and get tired. They'd start to lose on the battlefield. So here's the deal. Moses needed a few guys to come alongside of him and help him hold his arms up. As long as he held his arms up, they won. When you see somebody stepping up in a leadership role, if God hasn't called you to that and that's naturally not what you do, then what you do is you come alongside that person and you hold their arms up. You don't make fun of them. You don't criticize them. You don't knock their feet out from underneath them. You say, listen, we can't do this without good leadership, so I'm going to hold your arms up as you lead us. And some of you think that when things are tough or hard, it's not going the way it's supposed to. When the coach, when the coach is yelling at me, and he's coming against me, and he's getting in my face, you think, man, that coach, he's just being negative. He's being critical. And there's a difference between a coach treating you like a non-person than a coach or another teammate who comes to you and holds you accountable. 
kind of happens like this. The coach comes over to you. He's like, what are you doing? You've got to be kidding me. And you go over to the bench, and you're thinking, man, the coach, man, he's just being all negative and critical about this positive-negative ratio. Man, this thing's going to tank. But here's what you don't understand. In that moment, he's saying, we've gone over this in practice. I told you what to do. We've showed you how to do it. I believe you can do it. Otherwise, I wouldn't, you, I wouldn't have you out there to begin with. All I'm doing is holding you accountable to what I believe in you. And it's a positive. Even though in the moment, you may feel like it's a negative. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, he not only encouraged him, he built him up. Back to the original part of this message. Simon Peter is like, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 16, we have figured this thing out. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, which means son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father is in heaven. And then he says this, You are Peter. He'd been calling him Simon up to this point, but now he calls him Peter. The word Peter means this. It means rock. It's Petros, like stone or rock. In other words, he like calls him Rocky. He's like, dude, you nailed it. You're not Simon anymore. I'm calling you like Rocky. You are like a rock. And then he goes from there and he says, and upon this rock, the, this Petra, which is a large mass of rock, and then I will build my church. We take this to mean that it's upon the faith. It's upon that statement of who Christ is that the church is built. But here's what he, he did. He saw in Peter a rock. And Jesus calls that out. It's like Michelangelo when he, when he sculpted David. He looked upon a stone or a granite. And he looked at it. And instead of seeing this glob... He looked in it and he saw the statue of David in it. And so what did Michelangelo do? He carved out what he saw. When you encourage and build one another up, you are carving out greatness for that person, for yourself, and for your team or organization or family. That is the power of one another to one another. It is the power of one another in. So why don't we do it? Here's what I think. I think it comes back to one of our enemies of faith. And it's called fear. We have a fear. If I throw that boomerang, if I let go, if I start seeking the happiness of somebody else, it might not come back to me. Is God enough? Does God have my back? Will he be there for me? Will he leave me? Will he forsake me if I start doing what I do before others get out of it? So many times fear locks us up. Have you ever heard the story?
Can you hear me now? Have you ever heard the story of Danny Gokey? Danny Gokey was an American Idol finalist several years ago. Incredible story about fear and how fear, fear would come into his life and lock him up. Y'all never heard it? I think you should hear it. In, in fact, I think you should hear it right now. I saw myself hanging onto her casket. I saw myself being buried with her. Well, I mean, I think fear has always been one of those things that I've had to constantly battle with. Growing up, being at church and going to a Christian school, there was a solid foundation of faith, but there was always this, I guess, gnawing in the back of my mind, is God with me? Or is God going to leave me because of my mistakes? Am I really unconditionally loved? Is there a limit to this love and what are the limits? I'd wake up my dad in the middle of the night and say, Dad, I need you to pray for me. He asked me what's going on. I would never tell him. I would never tell him out of fear. What if I reveal what's going on in my head, the craziness of these thoughts? This progressively went on for years. Into my 20s, I met a girl named Sophia. She was born with a heart condition. She had endured the surgery when she was young, and I thought it was fixed. Little did I know that in our first year of marriage that um, we'd be in the hospital together because her heart would beat around 200 times a minute. And that's when the doctor dropped the news on us. We were both 24 years old, and he said, we have to have another heart surgery. Both of us cried in the office because we didn't know how to take this news. And it was in that moment we were determined to just believe God to see a miracle. The ministry we went to, we saw supernatural things. We saw God healing people from sicknesses like that. Not everyone, but we saw enough to say, hey, we want a piece of this. We would have scripture verses posted everywhere inside our house. You'd wake up in the morning in the little apartment that we had, right on the mirror that you'd look into in the morning had a scripture verse about God's healing. You'd open up the refrigerator, the very first thing you'd do in the morning, you'd see another scripture talking about that Jesus, everywhere he went, people were healed and set free and delivered. We had scriptures everywhere. We had belief. We had faith. It was about four years into the process that I remember walking into the hospital. And I remember just sitting there saying, God, why? Why are we here? Why are we going through this? I thought you had all power. I thought you could do all things. And we're here in this surgery room, getting ready to have an open heart surgery. And um, after the first day of surgery, the surgery was not successful. I said, uh, you need to get down here. She's not going to make it. You need to say goodbye to her. And I literally yelled. They gave me a private room, and I yelled at the loud of them, like, God, you have to save her. You have to heal her. You have to. You cannot leave me alone like this. And I remember it got to the point where she was gone. I just felt at such a complete loss. And once again, that old familiar thing of fear came back into my life. This time, because she ended up passing away, I literally felt in my heart like God's mad at me. And it's interesting, in one moment of loss or one moment of disappointment, especially disappointment, when you had all your hopes set into God's going to do it this way, I just know he is because he's a good God. And I guess we translate that it, it, he's a good God, so he's going to do what I think is good for my life. And that's heal my wife or, 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 or not let her die. It was the exact opposite. 
I didn't know how to embrace this moment. The funeral, there was such a numbness on me that I couldn't even, I couldn't cry a tear. Everything that I had in me was literally drained. She was an avid American Idol watcher. I made a promise to that mom. I said, I'm going to go try out for this TV show. Little did I know that when I would try out for the show, it would be one month exactly after when she passed away. I remember standing in those lines. I remember tears falling down my eyes because one moment I was happy, excited, like this could be a possibility where something good could happen. But the other, the other thing inside of me was like, how am I going to live life, this new chapter, without her? There were several audition processes. The very first audition, I made it through. I remember going to my next audition in October, and I remember feeling such a depression to the point where Hollywood Week came. I'm in my hotel room, and I'm not even sleeping at night because I'm dealing with these debilitating thoughts again. God, are you with me? Are you with me? I, thought you I remember even the point where the, you could do the all things, and we're here in this surgery. You have to. Getting ready for You cannot leave me alone like this. You can't. It is obsessive compulsive thinking. It would just ride on my fears and it would just increase and increase and increase and increase to the point where when I finally made it to top 50, I literally looked at God and said, I don't know what's going on here, but I do not want to go on this TV show. I'm a mess and I'm going to look like a mess in front of all these people. There was this first that kept coming around. I mean, it was coming to most random places. It was Psalm 4610. And they said, be still and know that I'm God. What does this mean? Do I just need to just calm myself down and say, you are God? I literally would try that, and yet nothing would work. As I looked into the Hebrew of this verse, when it says, be still and know that I'm God, it says, stop striving, stop fighting, let go, cause yourself to let go. I saw myself back in that moment, as they're burying my first wife, I saw myself hanging onto her casket. I saw myself being buried with her. And something began to happen every time the anger would come back about the why or the questions. I would just tell myself, no, I forced myself. I caused myself to let it go. And it was almost like God pulled this cork out of my heart and these negative emotions, this, this, the bitterness just drained through. Little did I know that my grip hanging on to the things I didn't understand, to the things I felt justified, were the very things that were pulling me down. But once I let my grip go, once I let it go, God answered my prayer. I didn't want to go into American Idol, but at this point, God reinvigorated my soul with life again. There were so many people who had written me on social media and, and wrote me letters. There were several stories of people who were going to take their life. Literally, one lady said she was going to take her life, but she heard my story on American Idol. She heard me crying in a different room, and she decided to put her gun down and to give her life to the Lord. It was story after story. I was happy, I took third place. Did I win? No, but you gotta understand, this guy who came from such a small nothingness now had this opportunity. Now that things get way better after that, they did and then they didn't. Um, I ended up getting dropped from my first record label, but in that time, God whispered that the music wasn't over. I got remarried. I met my second wife, Leah Set the unexpected chapter in my life. And it was about five years after American Idol. <laughs> in the most unlikely places, I had a record label ended up signing me. And it was several years after American Idol that I started seeing the success of, uh, of my music. I started having kids. I just started seeing more and more doors open up. I don't want to stop yet. You know, as a young kid, I didn't believe Christ was enough. 
I believe it was Christ, plus now I gotta do X, Y, and Z. One of the most profound things that I've learned in my walk with Christ is that He is enough. I, I, I lean towards Jesus more than ever before. I wish I could say that it was a complete change, but it's a slow by slow change. And it's a, it's just an everyday getting up and moving forward. My name is Danny Goki, and I am second. Wow. Did you hear what he said? He said, you know, after he had been through everything he went through and all the struggles, losing his wife and all that stuff and fear came back, he said, but once, you know, once he let go of it and God did amazing things, he said, I was, I was, I was, I was happy. You know, when you let go of your fear and you just let it fly, you just let it fly, you just let it fly. Yeah, it's like, golly, is this going to come back? And when I let go of my dreams, when I let go of what I want, when I let go of my pride, when I let go of my selfishness, is, is anything going to come back to me? What's going to happen? And what we see time and time and time again is that when you want another, want another, it comes back. That's where you find success. It's where you find victory. It's where you find fulfillment. It's where you find joy. It's where you find happiness when you want another, want another. But we got to overcome that fear. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. And have faith. It will come back tenfold. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.